0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're continuing our series called Family Tree, Tree, that's right. And Family Tree is all about the people, or some of the people at least, in Jesus' Family Tree. We're looking at great, 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 great plus grandfathers' of Jesus. And we're looking at some of the ladies as well. Who's enjoyed this series so far? Who's gone to the book of Chronicles or the book of Kings and just found out a little bit more about these characters for yourself? Good. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing lots of people grabbing the Old Testament because you know what? This is this is one thing I want to do is redeem the word of God. Because people have made the word of God so boring and so colorless and so dull. And so um, irrelevant, and yet nothing can be further from the truth. It never ceases to amaze me that we will hire videos or go to movies to see, you know, blood and gore or romance and all those things. And yet, you know what? It's all in the Bible. You want blood in the Bible? You you want romance, ladies, in the Bible? Sex in the Bible? Drugs, drunkenness, all those things, it's in the Bible. And we overlook it because, you know, we we sanitise it. And we just overlook this and we overlook that and we overlook the other thing. And we put the Word of God and make it so small. And we've reduced it to, you know, know, God loves you and, and that's it. And it's true. But when you study the lives of men and women, you get to see how great the love of God is. And so this whole series has been looking at some of the people in Jesus' family and uh, some of the things that they got up to and some of the things that we can learn from their lives. As I said before, my dad... Uh, told me stories as a young boy growing up about his mum and his dad. I never met them because I was wasn't even on the scene uh, before they passed away. And but I feel like I know them because of the stories he told. And it wasn't just the stories he told; it was the lessons I learned through the stories he told about the parents of his, etc., etc., etc. Does that make sense? And I imagine the boy Jesus is growing up and he's hearing stories about his great, 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 great plus grandparents and what they did, the good, the bad and the downright ugly. And there was a lot of ugly in Jesus' family tree. There was a lot of perversity in the family tree of Jesus. In actual fact, that brings me to my character that I want to look at today. His name is Manasseh. Everyone say Manasseh. Uh, many of you wouldn't have heard much about uh, Manasseh, because he's the kind of guy that was a bit of a so and so and had a bit of a history, and uh, you know, he's kind of not the character that we would esteem to be like, and so we never heard about him in Sunday school, but I'm going to tell you about him today, okay? Manasseh was from the Lion of Jesus, and you can see that in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 10. He was born in 709 BC uh, in Jerusalem. His father was. Hezekiah and his mother was Hephzibah. So Hez and Heph, okay, were his parents. Uh, He co-ruled over Judah for 10 years with his father, Hezekiah, from 697 BC to 687 BC uh, as like an apprentice, okay, for 10 years. And then he ruled a further 45 years from 687 BC to 643 BC for a total of, get this, 55 years. That's a long term or a long time in office. Would you not agree? 55 years. He died Uh, in 643 BC at the age of 67 and you can read more about his life in 2 Kings 21 and 2 Chronicles 32 and 33. As I've already said not much is known about this man because very few people talk about this guy and it's probably because he was so wicked. In actual fact this guy would fit more into Adolf Hitler's family tree than Jesus Christ's family tree but there he is Smack bang in the middle of Jesus' family tree. And uh, he had an incredible life. And the great thing about Manasseh is that he learned some lessons about his life. And uh, that's what we want to learn from. We want to learn from the good, the bad and the ugly. And I believe if Manasseh was here today, there were some things he'd want to tell us to learn from his life. Okay, so we're going to look at some of those things this morning. And the first thing I believe that he would say if he was here, and the first thing I believe we can learn from his life is this, that nothing shapes your life like the choices you make. Nothing shapes your life like the choices you make. I say that because Manasseh was from a godly family, a godly home. He had a godly Father, We heard about him last Sunday night through Christ's word. And we see that Hezekiah was not only a godly man, but it was Hezekiah who opened the doors of the temple, that he repaired the temple, that he ripped down pagan shrines and removed the high places. And it was actually Hezekiah that smashed to pieces the bronze serpent that was made by Moses. Do you remember that story? A plague broke out because of the grumbling Israelites when they were in the desert and God told Moses to build a bronze snake and to hold it up and put it on a pole and everyone who looked at the pole would be healed and the plague stopped, remember that? Well, this then became an idol. Isn't it amazing that something God intended for good, we make an idol and God says, now what I intended for good is actually becoming a hindrance, smash it. See, some of the things that really were helpful 200 years ago, 500 years ago have actually become a hindrance and we need to smash it. We need to change it. And it was Hezekiah who plucked up the courage and smashed the bronze snake. In him smashing the bronze snake, it was like putting lights in the church and drums in the church. Never been done before. We've always done it this way. He was a real reformer because he loved the house of God more than the traditions of man. You got it? And so he was a godly man and I imagine that he brought up Manasseh in a godly way. Having said that, Manasseh was one of the most evil kings of all time. And you can read that for yourself in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 verses 1 to 9. But a basic overview of that passage of Scripture, you will see that it was Hezekiah, sorry, Manasseh, that reversed the religious reforms that his father Hezekiah reintroduced. So he undid all his father's good work. He reinstituted pagan worship. He embraced every form of religion that was out there. You talk about religious tolerance. He was a man that was full of religious tolerance. He had anything and everything. It was kind of like God and everything else that's out there. He erected altars to Baal. He erected Asherah poles in the temple of God. Now, an Asherah was a wooden symbol of the female deity. And scholars will tell us that the Asherah poles were like huge phallic symbols that people just worshipped and bowed down to. And... It was Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, that got one of these massive phallic symbols. And it and wasn't just happy with the outside of the temple. He actually bought it right smack bang in the center of the temple of God. I mean, come on. That, that, that would be like us having an adult bookshop in our bookshop. It's like, what? Yes, come on, guys, read the Bible. I mean, can you imagine us saying, hey, if you want to you know, just go to the bookshop and you're like, what? Bit outrage. And this is what this man was doing. He was wicked. He was evil. He ruined an entire nation. He was a bloodthirsty king that shed innocent blood. Christian history records that it was Manasseh that had the prophet Isaiah put into the hollow of a log And sawn in two, and you can read that for yourself in um, two Kings two sixteen and Hebrews eleven verse thirty seven. I mean, this is a wicked man. I mean, imagine that today, you just you just saw someone in half because you don't like what they're saying. This man did that. Not only that, he sacrificed his own children. To the fires of Moloch, he had his own kids thrown into a furnace just to worship a foreign God. This is a man who was brought up in a Christian home, a godly home. On top of that, he led Judah astray, and the Bible records that he did more evil than the nations that God destroyed before him. In other words, Sodom and Gomorrah that was destroyed, he did more evil than that. It's hard to believe that this man grew up in a Christian home. Adolf Hitler's home, maybe. Osama Bin Laden, maybe. But Hezekiah's home, are you kidding? And then to find himself in the line, family line of Jesus, really? What's he doing there? What's this guy called Manasseh doing in the family line Of Jesus. My point is this your upbringing doesn't seal your future, your choices do. That's my point. It's your choices that seal your future. Hezekiah was a godly man, yet his son was ungodly. Why? Because of the choices he made. In those first nine verses, we see the word he comes up 13 times it was he that did evil it was he that worshipped uh, and offered sacrifices to foreign gods it was he who did it It wasn't somebody made he did it it was him it was his responsibility he couldn't blame his parents he couldn't blame his mom he couldn't blame his dad he had a good upbringing and yet he chose to do wicked and evil things in other words a good start is no guarantee of success and a bad start is no guarantee of failure. You got it? A good start does not mean that you will have a successful life and a bad start does not mean that you'll have a bad life. It comes down to the choices that you make. I have a, had an incredible upbringing as a young man growing up. And uh, many of you would know that I appreciate the input. In particular, my dad gave me uh, re my Christian upbringing. But that is no guarantee that I will have a successful life. I've had to make some good choices, some godly choices, some wise choices, I can't just say, hey, it's all right for you. And I want to answer that question that many of you would have of me and others who've had good upbringings and smash the notion that it's all right for you because you've got a good dad. I didn't have a good dad. Some of you have said something similar to me like that, or at least thought it. But here's the thing. My dad never had a good dad. So what's his excuse? Somewhere along the line, my dad just said enough is enough and he started to make some choices. He had a bad dad. In other words, he knew what not to do. So he did the opposite and found himself doing the right thing. So you can learn from a good example or a bad example. If you had a bad father, if you had an absent father, if you had a distant father, then you know what not to do. So if you didn't like your father being distant, guess what? You can be a present dad. If you didn't like your dad being absent, then you can be a dad that's around for your kids. If you had a dad that never said, I love you, then you can say to your kids, I love you. And likewise, if you had a dad that says, I love you, you can also have the choice to say, I'm not gonna do it to my kids. It's the choices that we make that are most important. You see, I want to break this notion that we are living under a generational curse. Because all these notions that are out there really just remove the responsibility from us. And human nature is forever wanting to get rid of my responsibility. And if I can blame my mum and dad, that's fantastic. And if I can blame my great, 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 great grandparents, that's all the more better. But I don't believe so much in generational curses as I do in generational choices. And we can make some choices that send us on the right track or the wrong track. If you make the same choices that your forefathers made and it got them into trouble, then you'll get yourself into trouble. But if you make different choices to those that got themselves into trouble, then you'll find yourself not getting into trouble based upon different choices. Same choices, same results. Different choices, different results. There were things about my granddad that my dad did not like and so he did things differently and got a different result. Is this making sense this morning? Sorry to you know burst your little bubble and you've actually got to now take responsibility for your own life. But a godly parent does not mean that you have godly kids. Hey at the same time I think we have responsibility as parents. We're going to pray and believe, et cetera, et cetera. We're not trying to opt out from our responsibility as parents for our kids. I think we have to do our best. But I feel sometimes the reverse is true. Sometimes we do our best as parents and our kids go off the rails and we beat ourselves up as parents. And I want to to give some of you parents out there a break. And say, you know what? Kids have to make their own choices ultimately. And we're going to do our best to set them up for success. But at the end of the day... They will make their own choices. I believe that if Manasseh was here today, he would say, nothing shapes your life like the choices that you make. The second thing I believe that Manasseh would say to us if he was here is sooner or later, we all have to answer to God. You see, for a long period of Manasseh's life. He did wicked things and he got away with it. And I want to encourage every one of you in this place, someone that you know who calls himself Christian may be doing some things and seemingly getting away with it and it may cause you to waver in your conviction. Know this, your sins will find you out. Our Friend, the gladiator Maximus Aurelius said this. He said, "I will have my vengeance in this life or the next." Remember that that little scene. But God will have justice in this life or the next. You will all face your Maker. Every one of us. You may get away with sin for a day, a week a month, a year, a decade, even a lifetime. But eventually every one of us must face our maker. We see in 2 Chronicles 33 verse 10 and 11 that the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. And so the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria. Now the king of Assyria had already wiped out the tribe of Israel. The kingdom of Israel had gone by this stage. And now it was the king of Assyria that took Manasseh, prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. Manasseh, having done wicked for many, many years, had finally... Finally, been taken prisoner by the king of Assyria. Had a hook in his nose, put in shackles, put in prison, and was left to rot. What I want us to get from this is how God speaks to us. You know, when we do the wrong thing, as Christians... There's a small, still voice. Some call it your conscience. I believe it's the Holy Spirit trying to get our attention. And you do something, you know it's wrong. And I believe it's the most gracious way God wants to correct us that we feel bad and we learn from those feelings. If we don't respond to that small, still voice, the conscience, the voice inside, the inner voice, call it what you will. God loves us too much just to let us go. And what I've found is the way God will try and get our attention next is through people. He'll put people in our world or people in our path to try and get our attention. And if you've found that a number of people are saying the same thing to you, I guarantee this, God is trying to get your attention about something. Hey, young man, I want you to stop doing that. That's really unhelpful to your future. You go somewhere else. Hey, young man, that's really unhelpful for your future. I think God is trying to get your attention. He's not trying to embarrass you. He's not trying to tell you off. He's just trying to get your attention because He loves you. Starts with a small, still voice. If we ignore the small, still voice, He'll bring people into our world. If we ignore the people in our world like Manasseh did, There are prophets that came. I imagine his father Hezekiah was speaking to him. I imagine a number of other godly men were speaking to him. He ignored them all. Then circumstances will speak. Then all hell tends to break loose. And we see for Manasseh, he finds himself in prison with a hook in his nose, totally embarrassed. He's lost his kingdom. And now he has to really think about what he's been doing. And I believe... It's yet another way of God wanting to get our attention. If your world is falling apart, don't just blame the devil. Don't just blame everybody else. Don't blame God. Where's God? Well, maybe, just maybe, He's loving us enough to get our attention regarding a certain area of our life so that we can be further fruitful him the Bible says of Moses that though he was mistreated along with the people of God he would rather that than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time this notion that some Christians try to give that you know there's no fun in sin you know what you need to get out more doing the wrong thing can be a lot of fun anyone know what I mean (laughs) why is your hand up Josh what have you been doing lately But the point is, it doesn't last. And Manasseh did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, did whatever he wanted and had fun for a season, but it doesn't last. We all have to answer to God. The third thing I believe that Manasseh would say to us this morning is this, that genuine repentance opens doors for God's grace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it says, at verse 12, In his distress, after he had ignored the small, still voice, after he had ignored the voice of the prophets, having been caught, captured, and had a hook put in his nose, at this low place in his life, in his distress, he sought the favour of the Lord his God. And he humbled himself greatly. You need to underline greatly. Before the God his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord, this is amazing, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew the Lord so that the Lord is God. What a story. Why wasn't this taught to our kids? Why weren't we taught this growing up? Why, when we had the little felt board, wasn't Manasseh stuck up there? Where was Manasseh on our felt board, people? Because we just see the sin. We just see the bad things. Oh, we can't talk about him. Oh, I miss the incredible story of grace. We can't talk about him, he was just a right so-and-so, just hide him. Manasseh's like one of those family members we have. You say, Hey, it's my mom, it's my dad, auntie, so like, don't auntie Flo, you better not come out, you stay in there. Just. And Manasseh's like that, we don't want to bring him out because he's embarrassing. And yet Jesus lets the whole world in on his family and says, This is me. This is what I come from, this is my family lineage. We've got prostitutes in there. We've got Manasseh, the worst king ever, did more evil than even the nations that we've destroyed before. All there for everyone to see and to learn from. And Manasseh, having done some of the most evil, wicked things ever, repented and said sorry before God. What you need to understand is this is not a, sorry, I got caught. Yeah. God's not fooled by our, sorry, I got, got caught. Let's face it, most parents in here aren't fooled by our kids, sorry, I got caught. We can discern the difference, how much more God. Yeah. This is not a, I'm sorry, I got caught. I wish I wasn't in this jail and I wish I didn't have this thing through my nose. I'm not into piercings, you know. <laughs> this is like something that is deep. It's heartfelt. It's gut-wrenching. It's, it's a sorry with sobbing. When's the last time you sobbed over some of the things that you did wrong? I imagine Manasseh in his prison cell just sobbing and weeping uncontrollably. An absolute, genuine repentance. Absolute, genuine sorrow for the things that he'd done. I believe genuine repentance looks like this. If I could have my time over again. I wouldn't do it. Oh, if there's anything I can do to undo that, I, I wish I could. And I imagine as Manasseh sitting in his prison cell, he's what, what, oh man, I wish I hadn't done that. I, I wish I could have a time again. I, I wish, I wish, I wish. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh, if I didn't say that, if I didn't do that, why did I put that particular item in the temple? What was I thinking? Oh God. This is deeper than, oh, man, I wish I wasn't here. If sorry will get me out of this place, I'm sorry. This is genuine repentance. This is genuine repentance. And it's genuine repentance that moves the heart and hand of God. And because his repentance was genuine, God, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. God not only forgives him. I mean, that would be amazing. Some of you right now are struggling with that thought. But he says, you know what? You can have your kingdom back. And God restores him back to the king over Judah. He gets forgiveness and restoration. Now, what time... Period was this? This was hundreds of years before Jesus was born. God finds forgiveness and restoration at the heart of repentance before Christ. How much more us? This is before Jesus. This this notion that the Old Testament is full of judgment and hellfire and brimstone. I'm telling you, it's grace. Grace. if we're honest with ourselves right now I imagine some of us are struggling with this and I'll tell you why I'll tell you why we struggle with this story because we want justice I don't want him getting away with it burn baby die you miserable so and so don't we how many of you watch films, you know, on the edge of your seat, thinking, you better die. We want justice. We're the guys with the white hats. We want every black-hatted person out there dead. That's like a cowboy and Indian kind of scenario. White hats with the good guys. We want justice. Which is not a bad thing. It's a noble theme. But I believe the biggest reason we struggle with a story like this it's because we fail to see the Manasseh in us. Hey, we may not have done what he did, but we're all made of the same stuff. It's called sin. And you and I are closer to the life of Manasseh. If you look at Manasseh's sin and God's holiness, we end up being closer to Manasseh's sin than God's holiness. We are closer to Manasseh than we are God. Don't allow your self-righteousness to miss the heart of God in this story. You'd be amazed at what you would do if you were put in certain circumstances and situations. And I trust that through Manasseh's life, we can read it and say, wow, there but for the grace of God, go I. If we got the justice we craved, if we actually, if God gave us our wish, if He answered our prayer and said, like, okay, you want justice? Here it is. None of us would stand. Yeah. Yeah. We'd all be guilty. You want justice? Yes. Cool. Guilty, 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 guilty. Especially guilty, 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 guilty. Very guilty, Rodney. Josh, very guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. Incredibly guilty. Guilty, many guilty. Andre, guilty. Oh, Port power supporter over there. Guilty. God's love is so big, He'll even forgive Port Adelaide supporters. <laughs> Kerry, how are you doing? You're good. Lonely night last night, wasn't it? <laughs> Quick impersonation. <laughs> Every Port Adelaide supporter. All right, okay. How's this for thought? When we receive what we deserve, that's justice. When we receive a pardon, that's mercy. When we receive forgiveness and acceptance, that's grace. Don't you love God? Yes, he's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. But he's also... A God of grace. And because he's a just God, he couldn't just wink at sin. He couldn't just overlook sin because every one of us wants justice. And that's why he sent his son. Someone had to pay. Someone had to die because of the sins of man. He said, that's right. Justice has to be done. I wouldn't be a just God if I just winked at sin. And so he sent his son, who became sin and died on our behalf. That if we would receive him, we could have everlasting life. And my last point is simply this, as our musicians come, a changed life leads to a changed lifestyle. In Chronicles chapter 33... Verses 14 to 17, you can read it for yourself. We see the incredible turnaround of Manasseh's life. And this turnaround was not just a glib, greasy grace turnaround. This was, this was one with action. He got all the Asherah poles, took them down, burnt them. He cleared out and restored things in the temple yet again. And he got things right Because a changed life has to lead to a changed lifestyle. Repentance means a turnaround, 180 degrees. The direction I was going, I'm now doing something else. I'm going another way. I'm going in another direction. It can't just be, yes, Jesus, and keep going. Yes, Jesus, keep going. True repentance, genuine repentance. The repentance that moves the heart of God is one. That changes our life, changes our lifestyle. This notion that no, oh, trouble is with church, trouble is with Christian. You got to go to church. What? It should be like this. As a non-Christian, I don't want to go to church. I hate it. We get saved. Wow! I, I want to be at church. I want to be at church. All He's done for me. As a non-Christian, we're just selfish and do our own things with our money. Turnaround. I recognize every cent that's been given to me is from God and I want to use it. Not just for me anymore. I want to set aside a certain portion of my income and give it to God as an offering. It's not about whether tithing is Old Testament or New Testament. You're missing the point. It's about a turnaround. It's about a changed life. And if we want to just be selfish, give our life to Jesus, continue to be selfish, I question, have we met the man? Have we really met him? Here's the amazing thing. Manasseh, for all his wickedness, because of that genuine repentance and the turnaround, he's in heaven. Wow. The person that goes to church and never receives Christ and just keeps doing their own thing take, take, take can find themselves eternally separated from God having not lived quite as badly as Manasseh but not recognizing they were a lot more like Manasseh than they gave themselves credit for and they never repented because they thought they were too good they didn't think they were that bad that's the trouble with too many Australians they think they're not that bad most Christians think they're Christians because they're good people Because we compare ourselves to a worse person than us. I'll always look like a good guy compared to Dan Jack. I always will. I just. But next to Tony Hudson, who can stand? I mean, like. And this is why the Bible says it's not wise that we compare ourselves to ourselves and with ourselves, our comparison is with God. And Romans 3 verse 23 says this way, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, of his high standard, of his whole, we can't, we've all fallen short of that. Oh, I might be better than one or two of you in here based upon human standards. You might be able to assess my life and say, based upon the length of his marriage, based upon his finances being in order, based upon his children being okay, at least some of the time. Yeah, that places him here, which makes him a little bit better than this person, a little bit worse than that person. And we compare ourselves with ourselves and God says, wrong wrong benchmark. Wrong benchmark. You're all far more like Manasseh. You're all far more like Adolf Hitler. Really? Yes. I'm more like Adolf Hitler than I am like Jesus by nature. The only thing that makes me more like Jesus now is a decision I made to surrender my life to him. Outside of that, I'm more like Adolf Hitler and Edi Amin and Osama have been like anyone you want to throw in there I'm more like them because my heart's made of the same stuff as theirs but God my heart can't be good enough it's only God that gives me a new heart my life can't be good enough it's only God who gives me a new life this is the end of the message thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless